Dear Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for your immeasurable grace that you um, give to us that we can share with each other. And just ask that your words um, be lifted up with Jan's testimony this morning and um, that they can bring joy and healing to us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. This morning we get to hear from Jan Howard. Jan has been married to David for more than 40 years and has enjoyed serving alongside him in ministry to seminary students and their wives and families. They have two adult daughters and seven grand joys. The Howards have been members of Bethlehem for almost 20 years. Jan loves reading, quilting, baking, small groups, front porches, biking the Gateway Trail with her husband. So here is Jan. Thank you. It's such a treat to be here this morning with you. This place is alive and buzzing with activity, with um, moms who are enthusiastic about their job, and I love that. I will always be a soft touch uh, working with young students and wives and uh, families, but it's always a treat to come back and speak to the moms group too, so thank you for the invitation. I can imagine that for some of you, I mean, I know that for many of you it was very sacrificial to be here today, and it was maybe hard to get out the door, and some of you may have wished that you could just take a little detour and go to the bathroom and have a good cry before you arrived this morning. I get it. So um, I'd like to, to stop and, and pray this morning before we begin, okay? Father, for all those who didn't get a full night's sleep and that are tired or disappointed or frustrated or anything in this process of trying to mother well, I thank you, risen Lord and Savior, that you are not tired and you're not tired of us. Thank you that we can come to you for new morning mercies. Gracious Father, we praise you because you are holy and worthy to be praised. We pause in your presence just now to turn the eyes of our hearts to you. We ask that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive all that you have for us here today. Accomplish all that you desire in and through each one of us. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus, our Redeemer and friend. Amen. When I gave Kim the title of my talk and she said that your theme for the year was pondering the preciousness of Jesus, and as much as I wanted to say no initially, because I thought, legacy, I, I don't know about that. But the Lord kind of kept tugging and saying, not so fast. I have something to say, and I need you to be the one to say it. So reluctantly, after the Jonah card didn't work, and I tried the um, Moses card saying, but Lord, I, I, I don't speak as well as I used to. And he said, not so fast, Sangalolo. I'm, I'm giving you something. And you would be amazed at the things that he has brought into my life in those months in terms of pondering, because I've, we've lost several significant mentors in the last year, uh, David's father-in-law and um, several others. I've done a lot of pondering. And, and I like pondering, not just you know about loss, but I like to think deeply about things, and, and I care deeply about things. So... 
I spend quite a bit of time in my little Queen Anne chair there in the corner having my quiet time, and I do not rush away. Now, I realize I'm older. I'm the grandma. I'm retired. So no heavy burdens here, ladies. But just to say, I'm thankful that you've chosen a theme like that and spent time with it this year. And it came to me that the title, Ponder Anew What the Almighty Can Do, line from a song, if with his love he befriend thee. And it seems to me that that's what we have in common here this morning. We are here because the Almighty God has befriended us. And we come now saying, teach us. We want to follow. We want to follow well. Well, part of God's many kindnesses to me through the years has been his sovereign orchestration of godly, caring, older women into my life who modeled a grace and maturity that I wanted. Today, I'd like to tell you about four of them. While I was still a teenager in high school, excelling in academics and co-curricular activities, it was in meeting Mary and other believers at that small, fundamentalist, storefront church that I came to recognize that I was very biblically and spiritually ignorant. I did not like it. They had their own personal copy of the Bible. They knew their way around it. And when the pastor said, turn with me, if you will, to First Chronicles, all the pages were rustling, and they knew where they were going. I was clueless and lost and very frustrated. But here was Mary, quietly attuned, saw how much I longed to learn how to study the Bible. And she made herself available. She volunteered to come to our home and teach us how to study the Bible. And we, of course, went every time the church doors were open to try to learn more. The pastor was very good, uh, very interesting. And, and when he showed how this tied with that or this led up to that and this was because what happened back here, well, how did he know all that? And how does he know his way all around this? Where do you go to get this? Well, she and her husband volunteered to come and study the Bible with my family. She noticed that I was an avid reader, as you might have also. And she fed me missionary biographies, starting with Elizabeth Elliot's Through Gates of Splendor, followed by Shadow of the Almighty. After reading Through Gates of Splendor, I knew and resonated with the importance of offering my life to God to use for his plan and purposes. But I had a few caveats. It was not yet at carte blanche. After all, what if he called me to a place where there were snakes and spiders and all manner of creepy crawlies? The fact that these had been on our farm all these years had managed to escape my notice, you can see. Then came Shadow of the Almighty. This showed the faith and trust and the cultivated spiritual life and practices that had enabled through Gates of Splendor. By now, I saw that God had prepared their hearts before he ever led them there. And when they went, wherever they went, he, through the Holy Spirit living within them, went with them. Thank you, Elizabeth Elliot, for writing those two books. They have served the church and anchored the faith of so many all these years. And thank you, Mary, for introducing me to them. When I went off to college at Ohio State, she wrote me regularly and often would include a, enclose a one-third of a page column called Lights from the Chapel Window. It came from a ministry called Chapel of the Air. The column was even, you know, um, 
had the shape of a, an arched chapel window, and within it were good quotes and scriptures. And so she would write me this nice letter and then enclose this as well. It was a very encouraging thing. It took her time and her interest, and she was faithful to do it. Neither of us had any idea that within a few short years, I would go to Wheaton Graduate School, where I would personally meet both of these authors that she had introduced me to. As firmly planted as my feet were in Ohio soil, from birth through college and early teaching years, at this space you cue Gone with the Wind and Scarlett O'Hara and Tara, going to Wheaton Grad School, where I would get to take whole classes in Bible and theology. And that changed the tra trajectory of my life. I actually ended up working part-time for Chapel of the Air to pay, help pay my tuition. And I met and married the nephew of Elizabeth Elliot, whose books I had cut my spiritual teeth on. After Wheaton, we were off to Michigan, my arch rival school, for him to do a doctorate and then teach at seminary. So I've lived like a bit of a tumbleweed ever since, only getting back to Ohio for family visits. But I know that Mary continued to live out her days in warm-hearted gratitude, deep-seated joy, and contentment as a witness to the faithfulness of God to her and those around her. Until her death, just a few years ago, at the age of 105. That's long-term faithfulness. The second woman I will tell you about is Gladys Hunt. It was Gladys Hunt that arrested my attention, stopping me in my tracks with the question in her book, Honey for a Child's Heart. Ta-da. Do you see how dated the cover is? I've had it a long time. It's had several iterations since then. This, my students, when I was teaching in Brighton, Michigan during David's grad school days, would go in and out of my classroom because it, it looked innocuous enough to be in a public school, but within it was a spirit of God working in several of my students' lives. So it was, and I felt like I had Gladys in my classroom. I loved having this book there. Well, it was in her book, Honey for a Child's Heart, where she asked us parents and grandparents and teachers, with what will you furnish their spirit? We take care of the milk and honey and the toys and the clothes, but she was taking it one step further with what will you furnish their spirit? I remember stopping and thinking, whoa, that calls for a vision. And I clearly need one to do this job well. As a teacher, I'd put a lot of time and thought into the curriculum, scope and sequence, as well as creating creative teaching methods and resources for my students. Why would I do any less for my children at home? As I continued to read, I was hooked by her love of adventure and heroes and the values and delight to be found in stories and great books. I wanted to learn from her. Let me give you a taste of what I mean. She said, later as a teacher myself, I knew the delight of taking children into a great adventure with a story, the utter silence of the room, the intent look on the children's faces, and the involuntary sigh that escaped our lips at the conclusion of an episode. We had been together in the presence of good writing, and we felt bound together by that experience. My sojourn in that school was brief, 
but only recently a former student met me unexpectedly and eagerly told me what book she was reading. She could have paid me no greater compliment. Great literature has a way of building people. And you don't need a classroom. You already have one at home with your children. Books continue to be an influence far beyond my own words to the children. And here's where she hooked me. What I am saying is simply this. As Christian parents, we are concerned about building whole people, people who are alive emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. The instruction to train up a child in the way he should go encompasses so much more than just teaching him the facts of the, of the gospel. It is to train the child's character, to give him high ideals, and to encourage integrity. It is to provide largeness of thought, creative thinking, imaginative wondering, an adequate view of God and his world. He can never really appreciate the finest without personal redemption. But many a redeemed person lives in a small, insecure world because he's never walked with God into the larger place, which is his domain. We have books and the book at our disposal to use wisely for God's glory. A young child, a fresh, uncluttered mind, a whole world before him. To what treasures will you lead him? With what will you furnish his spirit? I went back and um, reread that front, the front portion of the book. It's kind of like two halves. The first is where she's laying the vision. The second, she recommends reading. So if you're thinking, well, that's great. Where do I begin, Jan? How do I begin? She has an annotated bibliography, like different books that she recommends for different ages and stages and for whatever it is that you're wanting to do. Um, so it's a wonderful book on both levels. As a mother, I went back and reread the front portion of this at least annually to reignite the vision that she had started with me. I, I valued it because of its high view of God, of child-rearing, and of teaching, of casting a vision and igniting a flame for excellence and growth all around us. Again, little did I know that we would worship together in the same church, be frequent guests at their table, and occasionally house-sit for them when they traveled. She lived life to the full, her eyes twinkling and her voice filled with delight around children and books and the wonders of God's created world. And her husband, Keith, was in on all this, too. I heard several times about how he loved to tell, or dare I say, enact Winnie the Pooh's stories around the campfire to college kids and university staff at their summer leadership training course at camp in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. After all, there were relational skills to learn and spiritual insights to be gained from this lovable bear and his friends. Keith and Rusty were generous with hospitality and inviting others along on outings. And I often thought, what will, I, what will my family and friends remember about us? The way we think, a number of times, David and I have said, well, what would Keith and Rusty say about that? Or if we were kind of in a conundrum, we'd think, well, what would they do? Because they were um, meaningful mentors to us without ever assuming that title. And what will your children catch you enjoying? The Hunts had only one child, a son, born to them. 
but when I think of them together, they invested in the growth and maturity of thousands of university students, locally, at conferences, and around the world. They eventually went to Schloss Mittersill in uh, Austria and taught there as well. It was a great privilege to us to have them as friends. And I thank God for, for that gift of friendship and fellowship and mentorship that they gave us. The third person I'll tell you about came to motherhood after marrying a fellow InterVarsity um, Christian Fellowship staff member whose first wife had died, leaving him with two small children to raise alone. So marriage to Jim brought instant motherhood to Martha. She loved those children and their children faithfully and well. Years later, we connected dots to discover that their daughter had been a camper in the cabin I served as a counselor at a Christian summer camp for girls in Pennsylvania. Remember my reference to being a tumbleweed? At that era, I was still in Ohio. They were pastoring in Pennsylvania. Oops. And it wasn't until we were both um, serving on uh, neighborhood Bible study staff together in Illinois that and getting to know each other and taking walks and serving together at different conferences, that we finally connected those dots. And I said, wait, did you have a daughter, Sarah? I just now re realized her last name was Reepsum and so is yours. Did you have a daughter, Sarah? And so eventually we connected all those dots. God had connected them years earlier. But I just had to say, it's another God thing. God has had a lot of gifts that he dropped into my life long before I knew who and what was happening. As her husband Jim transitioned from InterVarsity staff into the pastorate, Martha served right alongside him and eventually became involved in a ministry called Neighborhood Bible Studies as a way of reaching beyond the church. Part of the Neighborhood Bible uh, Study philosophy was to invite people with whom you had built bridges of friendship or with whom you had like a natural affinity, whether it was all the research and development team at work and maybe you wanted to start one there on a lunch hour or whatever. Most of Martha's and my experience was with young moms, young people or young moms at home with children and wanting some friendship and fellowship. So this was a natural way for us to reach out to them. When you had the invitation, you always let them know. I mean, you invited everyone in that group, for example, every, and, and you let them know at the time that you were inviting them. I've invited everyone on this street and this cul-de-sac, or I've invited um, all the mothers of preschoolers or mothers of the boys on the baseball team so that they would know, okay, I already know some people. I'm going to check. If Jackie goes, I'll go, you know, or... And they would also know that they hadn't been singled out or they wouldn't hear by the grapevine that they had been left out. So again, looking at the hurdles that might keep someone away from saying yes, neighborhood Bible studies gradually um, worked through those hurdles. They were invited to, uh, on the basis of the invitation, they were invited uh, on three things. They were invited to come for coffee that's usually an easy yes, to hear about an idea, the idea of a neighborhood Bible study and how that would work, and they would experience a sample study so they knew, I mean, how do you say yes? You don't say yes to a pig in a poke. Well, here, come. We're going to have the pig there that day, and we will, you'll get to. So um, those three uh, parts always went together. Come for coffee, hear about the idea, 
and experience a sample study and meet some of your neighbors or meet some other moms. And that was usually a fairly easy yes as well. Well, humbly, humble, not pushy Martha took this to a whole new level. Several of us younger staff had an aha moment when we were sitting around sharing one day how we had each met Martha. And to the woman, the first three words out of their mouth was, well, she invited me. And then each of them had some different little thing of that, they had, uh, that she had invited them to. She had quietly invited us to attend one of these coffees with her to observe first. And on the way home, we would process how we thought it went and were people engaged and did we enjoy it and that kind of thing. And eventually, she would say, well, if I do one of these again, would you want to go? Maybe you could present the, the um, sample study the next time. Well, who's going to say no to Martha? You didn't get pushed into it, but it was another invitation. So um, she took us to places like um, uh, uh, conferences. Uh, she knew my background in, in teaching and um, also that I had done some um, sales training and so forth. So, of course, I'll take Jan to the Sunday school conference. She could probably do a workshop. I'll do one. She can do one. So you were always just kind of on this team, and you got to enjoy Martha's friendship and fellowship. But she wanted to get to know us as people. Mar Martha, this was not a pyramid scheme with Martha. She was looking at people and she always looked at you and she asked questions and she pulled information out of you. And once she ferreted out some of our strengths, well, then that should be given opportunity somewhere. And she gave us opportunities to grow our strengths um, and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. I, I think that's what hit me. This is bigger than me. This is for the kingdom. I have time. I have friends. I could do this. And so eventually, um, I went on staff. But she also always was connecting us with other people. As she invited some of us on staff, she says, now, Jan, when we go to this, I want to be sure that you get to meet Emily. I think you two would enjoy each other. You know? And so we, our friendship circles grew, too, as we got to know Martha. Martha had eyes that saw and included and invited it was a great gift. Martha was mentoring long before that became um, common parlance. But do you see how God used her to make my heart tender toward Titus II groups? Be sure you're taking advantage of this wonderful opportunity here at North Church. And as you move forward in age and mothering experience, keep reaching back, sharing your experience and encouragement. Um, as Elizabeth Elliot said to me one time, well, Jan, you're not an old woman, but you are an older one. There are those that could ex profit from your experience. And thus, I'm hooked on groups like this ever since. Martha's wisdom, her words and ways stuck with us. I remember her saying, don't despise small things. That was her way of saying, if only four people show up this morning, that's four ahead of, where, of the number of people meeting on our street last week. She said, oh, we, just, we don't worry about numbers. We leave that to God. We show up. And so I'll never forget her saying, don't despise small things. Later, when I was reading Zechariah, and I read that, I thought, oh, Martha knew about this. I was still not quite up with where Martha was. 
I also remember her saying, God is up to so much more than we know. And that, I think, that's what I feel in my life, that all during my young adult and adult years, God has been up to so much more than I knew. And it redounded to so much blessing um, for me. Um, for Martha, for those of you, I'll turn this around. It's a picture of a quilt. So when her husband was, was uh, called from uh, pastoring in Pennsylvania to pastoring in Wheaton, Illinois, all the women in, in Pennsylvania thought, whoa, Martha's not going to be here next year? Now, over 20 years, she had trained plenty of them. This was not going to die on the vine. But all of those women got together and said, we should each make a quilt block for Martha and tell you know, something that will visualize what she means to us and what she did for us while we were here. Well, ladies, I've counted. There are eight blocks long, seven blocks wide. Each one of those represented a group. So in 20 years, and I don't know if every single group you know, was included here or if every single one is represented on this, but at a minimum, 56 groups in those 20 years. And for each group, you know, it could have been from four to 12 or 15 people. That's leaving a legacy. Not that she set out. This was a, a surprise given to her. Martha never set out to um, leave a legacy. She sought to be faithful in her generation to tell of the faithfulness of God and the greatness and goodness of God to her. And, oh, do you want to come along? I, I'd love to have you join me. Whether it's to the apple orchard or to one of these things, Martha was a person that invited you into her world, into her life, and you were blessed if you spent the time with her. The fourth one I'll tell you about, her name is um, Cindy. She was a friendly, outgoing Southern woman, just a little bit younger than me, but so we were more colleagues. Um, she was single uh, longer than she would have chosen, but then she too came into instant motherhood when she married a widower with three small children to which they would add one more in their new marriage. She had a full plate. Cindy did not waste her single years. She was serving the Lord around the world, you know, wherever she went. And her warmth and Southern charm and her friendliness, she attracted pe people like bees to honey. Um, so she had quite, I mean, if, if there'd been contact lists back in the day, you know, it was probably Rolodex with Cindy. She had a ton of people that knew her, that loved her, that wanted to get to do things with her. Um, she had a vast network of, of family and of friends and of ministry friends. Cindy invested time and energy and resources in all of them, and she knew how to nurture relationships. I learned a lot from her. One of the children that um, they uh, had and that she became um, instant mother to had s some special needs. Cindy would say that she, he had differing abilities. And I loved her blog many years later where she wrote, it took me a moment to recognize this holy moment occurring in the midst of the ordinary. I had just settled my first newborn grandchild into my eldest son's lap when Uncle Justin did the unexpected. He gently laid his hand on top of his little niece's head and prayed aloud. Lord, we give this child to you. 
and pray that one day she will know you and follow you. Jesus, bless little Sersha. Protect her. Help her grow up to be a strong woman of God. Amen. A blessing. Cindy writes, his father, the pastor, his mother, the Christian author, had not thought to do something like that or had not done it yet. But Justin, known his whole life as one with differing abilities, proved to be wiser than us all. To welcome the newest member of the family, he chose to impart to her a blessing. Through the years, she was invited into speaking and writing opportunities, and she too brought along others along in their development. But she knew the importance of cultivating and keeping her own spirit and relationship with the Lord fresh. It meant protecting time and unplugging regularly at strategic times to sit in quiet and solitude before the Lord to be renewed, refueled, and refreshed by his spirit. And it meant cultivating her relationship with God through holy habits, daily being in the scriptures, listening to him, talking over life with him in prayer. She and Mike knew the importance of and practiced observing the Sabbath. It was one way of managing the noise and distractions of life around them. It also protected time for physical and mental rest, as well as nurturing their marriage and family life. They acknowledged their need for God and their trust in his grace and his provision when they took that one day off in seven, just like their creator. She always kept a hymnal alongside her Bible, as many times these lyrics could lift her words of praise and worship when she felt her own were inadequate. My father-in-law said the same thing. Keep a journal, or keep a, well, he encouraged me to journal too, but keep a hymnal with your Bible. Um, it's a great way to lift your heart. When you feel like you don't have the words, it'll get you started. And as the kindergarten teacher said, if you want kids to remember something, feed it to them or sing it to them. She said, you've never had trouble teaching them the letter M, have you? Because you've had them M&Ms. So it was a fun, but I've always remembered those two things that were quite, and that's quite an aside, but um, many of you are in the thick of it, teaching your kids and so forth. And if you want their attention, you know, yes, you can dim the lights, but you can also sing to them. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, wait, mom's singing. And they'll, they'll learn from it. Back to Cindy's holy habits. She kept a hymnal, a hymnal along her Bible, as many times the lyrics could lift up praise and worship. It also put her and her present circumstances, and we all have those from time to time, in the company of heavenly choirs and the great cloud of witnesses who worship before him from everlasting to everlasting, calling out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, we lift our songs to you. This is my father's world is another great one to bring perspective when it feels like all of life is out of control. Go to the hymn. This is my father's world. Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Um, another uh, great one, oh God, our help in ages past. When you need help, go to the God who's been there from everlasting and to everlasting. Immortal, invisible, that's God, not us. And when you feel the most vulnerable, go to the one who isn't. Because he is God, and I just acknowledge, and I am not. 
I'm feeling very mortal today. I'm feeling very inadequate. Lord, come and be my adequacy. Come and be my sufficiency. So, um, again, singing hymns, it's a wonderful way to get beyond ourselves and be reminded of good theology. In recent years, she started to sing a closing benediction over her audiences, not because she was comfortable doing it, but because she had a very clear sense of God saying to her one time, get over yourself. Sing my blessing over this audience. There are those who need that word this morning. And then she continued to close her presentations with that ever since. She journaled, she spoke and wrote and encouraged other writers by hosting writers' retreats. I have especially appreciated her blog, Encouraging Words, and her devotional book, Dwelling Places, that you see here. And in it, I have a bookmark where she talks about these um, holy habits and what she calls a rule of life, which was an, an ancient practice um, back in the day. And then, just when I thought I would say, three of these women have gone on to glory, and this contemporary one, or Cindy and I, are still here, hoping that we can keep running with the baton. But only 10 days ago, she went home to her eternal dwelling place with the God she served so faithfully. It had been only a month, or within the month that she got her diagnosis for advanced cancer, and she went into hospice and was gone within the week. So I'm feeling that I'm pondering the loss for Cindy. She was due to, to host one of her writers' conferences and retreats in um, upstate New York, where we go and speak frequently, too. My prayer has been, Lord, raise up those that Cindy blessed and that they have learned and, and expanded their skills because of that. Keep that flame alive. Let someone say, I'll come along and help, because she was co-hosting it. I'm thankful there was a co-host. It won't just, but I'm praying for the other writers. Help them to rally in tribute to Cindy and her faithfulness to you. Keep it going because we need her words and others that will keep coming. Um, again, Elizabeth Elliot said to me one time uh, about writing, and I said, well, what could I say that hasn't already been said? And so much better by someone like you. And she said, Jan, it needs to be said afresh for each generation. So those are not my words, but those are solid words that I present and give to you this morning. Well, we've looked at four lives of people who answered God's call on their life um, and blessed how many? I mean, blessed me, and I think that we are surrounded by people like that in this room, in this church. Wherever you go, God has sprinkled his people. These women showed the qualities of availability, um, I don't want you to think that because of what I've served that you have to go on and, and have a big stage. Mary, the one who took me from spiritual ignorance to a, a longing for God's word, was the wife of a humble subsistence farmer. They raised raspberries together. Can you imagine how rich John 15 is to Mary? And she never went beyond that farm. But she launched me that did get to go beyond that. I didn't think I ever would. But God had other plans. 
as Martha would have said. God is up to so much more than we know. This is what I know of Mary. There could be a whole lot more to her story that I haven't, that I don't know because I haven't been back to Ohio in so many years. But she made herself available. Okay. And there was vision. Gladys gave us vision for a sense of purpose. Martha had a sense of purpose in getting to know us. Again, not to use us as, oh, there's a good one. I can get her to teach it. She got to know you, and when she knew that you had skills, would you like to? And she invited you. So the sense of purpose that we saw in Martha, a hospitable heart, which uh, holy habits that Cindy uh, talked to us about, and then hospitable hearts, which all of these women had in spades. And by hospitable, I don't mean they laid a nice spread every time we came to their house or that the de decor was perfect. I never found anything to find fault with, but that wasn't the measure of who they were. The hospitality was, come, do you want to come with me? Would you like to uh, uh, go with me here or there? They could have made a stranger on a public bu uh, bus feel welcome um, because of the, the warmth and hospitality of God alive in their hearts. It seems to me from watching and listening, learning and growing alongside these four women who graciously befriended me, that one of the most effective ways to leave a spiritual legacy is to humbly and joyfully bear witness in the warp and woof of daily life and relationships to the goodness and greatness of God in your own. Are you willing to do this however imperfectly? God is perfect, we are not. But what he calls you to do, will you do it however imperfectly? in the dailiness of your life, in your particular location, in your generation. Note that Jesus didn't go to the temple or to the Sanhedrin to recruit followers. He went to the villages, and he called everyday people where they were and said, come, follow me. So to be ready to say yes you need to be daily cultivating your own relationship and walk with the Lord. It sounds a lot like discipleship, doesn't it? It is. That's what these women got, being a disciple of Jesus and then passing the baton. But you can't pass on what you don't know or what you don't treasure to the core of your being that you want someone else to know. So it is here that you go for joy and strength and direction in life. And when others say, Jan, what would you say or what would you do? You go back to these core discipleship principles. And you invite others to come along for the journey. Remember Martha, God is up to so much more than we know. And she had that visual reminder of a quilt. Who knows what he may be up to in raise, with all of you that are raising the next generation? I hope you'll give him all you've got. Thank you. Do we have time for questions? I have time for questions if you do. And I have time to talk about the books and some magazines. I know some of you are in the era of motherhood that you just would like to just get one magazine article written. Been there. I remember those days. And I've got some to recommend to you. And like I say, I'm a book lady. So if you want to talk about any of these, I'll be available afterwards. Okay? Go ahead. Uh, the books at the bottom of this page. 
phase, the recommended Yes, yes. Yes, that's what I was thinking about that I needed to do. And you can come and look at them afterwards too. But Honey for Child's Heart, you heard from this morning. Um, his loving law, our lasting legacy. For those of you that are trying to say, but how do you get this into your kids? Now, thankfully, we have an excellent teaching church. But if you find yourselves out with others or you're thinking, like me, where do you begin? What do you say? How, how do you get this into kids' hearts and lives? Janie Ortland has written the book, His Loving Law, Our Lasting Legacy. She is a, 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 was a second grade teacher, and she has wonderful ideas of how to build this into family life. Uh, it's called um, Living the Ten Commandments and Giving Them to Your Children. In the Dailiness of Life, How to Do That. It's a wonderful book. Um, you'll notice that I'm pretty high. I mean... I have a lot of underlining in mine. I can't give away books because I have too many notes and underlining in it. Um, Dwelling Places is the one that Cindy wrote that I referenced to earlier also. It's one word a day. It's, it's, again, it's one of those doable when you've got so little time because you've gotten so little sleep. Um, one word a day, but with good application. So that's, that's a good one for um, the young moms too. Disciplines of a Godly Woman is just, it's what it is. And it's, I worked through that with my first mentee group. And she's a pastor's wife, uh, wonderful principles. Um, some of you, I realize I'm an older woman. I, I loved it, and I think the women that went through it with me did as well. Um, some of you are familiar with the uh, new uh, author, Ruth Cho Simons, who has that beautiful artwork and, and the book Beholding and Becoming. And that opening salvo that said, we become what we behold, that'll get you into the scripture. You know, if, if take a look. I, I often say to myself, if a silent video camera were following me today, would anyone conclude that God was important in my life? And do my thoughts and words and attitudes look like and sound like what Jesus would say? So the, the book, and I don't have it listed here, but it's Ruth Cho Simon's. And it's called Beholding and Becoming. It comes from Grace Laced. You can book gracelaced.com and see other things that she writes. Um, a younger, more contemporary author that some of you might enjoy. I use it with my, or have sent it to my nieces and so forth, because beauty is a great entry point for a lot of the younger generation. Well, for all of us. Don't we love to walk into a beautifully appointed, a beautifully appointed table or room or whatever? So, um, that may be the first point of contact. And they may read it, be curious, and then when you have the invitation later, oh yeah, I know this lady. She's the one that told me about beholding and becoming. So that may be a thing. The day is yours. This is one for those of us a little further down the road probably, but I, you know, if you got time, read it. Um, he's a British pastor, but it's slow spirituality in a fast-moving world. And he's the one that, um, with the Sabbath, said, you know, last night, while we were all sleeping, the Lord was taking care of everything. All around the world, every time zone, and he never grows tired. And we got up, and he's already started the day, and greets us with new morning mercies. And he takes that from the book of Genesis that says there was evening and there was morning the first day. And you see the rhythms of grace. It's a wonderful, it's a, a good meditation and ponder book. It, it will enrich your soul to spend time with it. 
disciplines of the godly woman, I think I talked about. Um, the last one, every moment holy, our liturgies. Um, for when, you know, you think, I just kind of keep saying the same things in prayer. I wish I could come up with a better thing. Here are some delightful ones. David and I have started using it. But mothers, there's some just for you. A liturgy for changing diapers. Not one, but two of them. And one for domestic, one for, but also other occupations, for first responders, for teachers, for um, liturgy for husband and wife at the close of day. Um, again, wonderful words that carry your heart beyond where sometimes we, we kind of get like a record and you get stuck in that one groove. If you need to get out of a groove, spend some time here, okay?